1: Welcome to NASCAR America. We're in the NBC Sports Charlotte studio alongside Slugger Labby, guru Slugger Labby, as well as (laughs) Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett. I'm Rick Allen. The Cup Series heads to Pocono this weekend, but before we look into Pocono, we've got to look back at what took place in Dover and the penalties that have been brought down on the 18 team. NASCAR has suspended the number 18 team crew chief, Adam Stevens, tire changer, Jake uh, and tire carrier Kenny Barber for the next four Cup Series races after a wheel came off Kyle Busch's car following a pit stop in Sunday's race at Dover. Busch went on to finish 16th in that race. Additionally, NASCAR has also penalized the 29 Camping World Truck Series team of driver Chase Briscoe for a similar infraction where a wheel came off during Friday's race at Dover. The crew chief there, Mike Hillman Jr., along with the front tire changer and carrier, are suspended for the next four races. And we have learned that Joe Gibbs Racing will not appeal this penalty. In addition, the team has named team engineer Ben Bashore as the 18th interim crew chief. He has no experience as a crew chief in Cup, Xfinity, or the Truck Series. Now, I know a lot of you are saying, and we actually have a poll, but a lot of you are saying... Four-race suspension for this, is that too much? And you can check out the poll at NBCSports.com slash NASCARVote. You can chime in uh, if you think it is. Is it too much? I think that's probably the question right now. Is an accident was made. Uh, it, it didn't look intentional. The, the teams are saying they didn't think it was intentional. But a four-race suspension, very steep.
2: Well, unfortunately, the way the rule is written today they're adhering to the rule. I mean, it's a black-and-white rule, and NASCAR is dishonoring their rule book. There's no reason for them to change the rule today. Uh, they might, over the winter, look at this rule and say, hey, this was a rule put in place for when teams were hitting three lug nuts, four lug nuts, but currently today, as it's written, it's black-and-white, and unfortunately, it's a four-week suspension.
3: Yeah, seems to be an oversight. You know, me and rules, I don't, I think we have way too many of them at times, but this seems to be something that should have been taken care of when things were changed to where now you have to have all the lug nuts secured there. It, it does seem rather harsh in, in the way that, the way that I look at it, which can be different at times, but they get a four race suspension here for that infraction, especially under caution where it didn't, uh, impact the racing whatsoever. And then someone wins a race and their car is found to be illegal, but they get the trophy and the money. So not sure how all those go together. And I know that, you know, there have to be rules that are put into place. Now, of those three uh, on the 18 team that may need four weeks would be the tire carrier that got his hand smashed. He might need four weeks off to to get ready. But I just think that it's a little too harsh for this particular thing. How
1: does it affect the 18 team? I mean, over the next four races, is Adam Stevens' vacancy going to be felt? I mean, will it be difficult for this 18 team to have success?
3: Well, I'll I'll speak from a driver's standpoint. Yeah, it's always different when you have someone else that you're talking to and listening to, even though it's someone that that Kyle Busch uh, is aware that's been there. But when it's somebody different, that's always a change. And, and, you know, these are good racetracks coming up. They they need to win with this team. But because of today's rules and, and how close the crew chief slugger can be to the actual action,
2: I don't know that it's that much of a deterrent for this team. It's not really, Dale. They can be anywhere a hard card can't be. So they can be in the motorhome lot. They can be in the grandstands. They can be in a suite. uh, They can talk on a digital radio. And you use a digital radio during practice. You can't use a digital radio during the actual event or when the car's on the track. But Adam can still talk to Kyle. He can hear his voice, uh, exactly how loose the car is or how tight or exactly what he needs. So uh, it's not really to me, a big deal. Uh, the one thing Adam won't be able to do was to bend over, look at the splitter, see how hard it's hitting the ground, but uh, virtually Adam's going to be within 20 feet of the garage. So uh, it's not as bad as what it could be, but it's definitely a severe penalty.
1: You're seeing the crew chief suspensions already in 2017. This is only 13 races into the 2017 season, so halfway through the regular season, and already quite a few crew chiefs have had penalties and suspensions already that they are having to serve. Now, right now, this isn't the ideal time for Joe Gibbs Racing, especially, uh, I mean, you've got uh, Kyle Busch, who's been upset as of of recently. Now he has a crew chief that's gone. He's got, you know, the top uh, rear tire changer and, and carrier that are both off of his team. This can't make a driver happy
3: at all going into the next four races. <laughs> no, and we know, you know, Kyle Busch, it, it, he has so much passion for what he does, and he's been so close to winning, and things haven't worked out for them. Uh, the entire organization doesn't have a win to this point, and we obviously have talked about that. and We'll talk more about it, but it, it, they they seem to have had things going better now, and then all of a sudden you have this. To, to crop up, and you know, and I know people are going to be out there. You know, it was a mistake and an error. There was no intent in what happened, uh, but you can't overcome that. But you would think if somebody's going to be suspended, maybe the jack man who let the jack down—that's what created the whole issue. But again, the, the driver, as a driver, you just have to deal with with what's given to you. There, uh, there are rules, and you're going to have to make the most of it. But it it, it does come at, at a very inopportune time. Not that there's a very good time to lose your right. crew chief for four races, but this certainly isn't a good time. So
1: Slugger, in this situation as a crew chief, when you're sitting up on top of the box, you see that the car is dropped too early. Can you stop your driver? Can you tell him to back up? I mean, is, was that the correct call that Adam should have made
2: in this situation? Well, I've been in that situation. Last year at California with the three team, we sat on the pole. We had the first pit stall. And on the last stop, as they shown showing on TV, the air gun broke. And I started screaming fast, stop, 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 back up, back up, back up. And I was fortunate enough to save a bad situation from happening. So it takes discipline to really understand what's going on. As a crew chief, you're responsible for getting the car back on the track where they don't hit on pit road. So I was fortunate to look down and I saw something go flying in the air and it was the socket that broke off the end of the gun. So uh, the Jackman didn't realize that. He's the quarterback of the pit stops. Right. And obviously everything's on the quarterback, every every football, racing, whatever it may be. But... To me, I agree with you. The guy that should be suspended is the Jackman because he's the one that made the mistake. But unfortunately, the way the rule is written today... The crew chief and the tire changer and the tire carrier, they're the ones that take the hit.
1: With this team, they've got some guys that I'm sure are going to be able to fill the the void as far as the rear tire changer and the rear tire carrier. You, you've got backups, right?
2: Sure. This will check the depth of Joe Gibbs Racing. They provide pit crews to Furniture Row. Uh, they have two teams as well. So we're going to see the depth of this race team. But uh, it's time for Kyle Busch to step up as well. You know, if you go back to Pocono last year, Tony Gibson was suspended. John Klausmeier took over. They won the race. So good things can happen out of something bad. So we'll see how this team reacts. I think one thing that we have to look at, though, are these next four weeks, the the
3: completely different races and and tracks and how hard it may be. And we're going to talk about Pocono with the the stages and things like that and calling a race and getting all that done. You go to Michigan, uh, a totally different track, and then a road course, and then back to Daytona. So a lot happening for a crew chief and and to upset the team at that particular time.
1: We're going to keep the poll up, so make sure to go to NBCSports.com. Uh, slash NASCAR vote. It looks right now that uh, most of you think maybe a little bit too harsh as far as the penalty, but we will keep you up to date on that. Uh, last June at Pocono, Kurt Busch stretched his fuel to take the win. We'll revisit that race, plus what may be the biggest strategy story this weekend at the Tricky Triangle. All coming up next on NASCAR America. Verizon IndyCar Series is on NBCSN. Next stop, Fort Worth, where a wild ride awaits at the new look Texas Motor Speedway. The Rain Guard Water Sealer 600. at Saturday at 8 Eastern on NBCSN. What was once a spinach farm now stands as one of NASCAR's most unique tracks, the Tricky Triangle, known for its three distinct corners, and a front straightaway that stretches the length of almost 12 football fields. Well, last June... Kurt Busch was without Tony Gibson, who was serving a suspension, but interim crew chief Johnny Klossmeyer made a critical decision that ended up deciding the race.
3: Green flag is out. Here go the Hendrick cars doing battle. Chase a little bit better. He has at least a fender out in front. Dale Jr. begins to inch ahead on the outside lane.
2: It was definitely an exciting restart. Those Hendrick guys jump ahead. Chase Elliott wanted
4: to block me coming off of turn one, and I said, "Okay, kid, here we go." And then he made a mistake, washed up. Uh, the 88 checked up. I made a big mistake there behind Dale. Wish I'd been a little more patient, giving ourselves a better chance. Elliott
0: all over the backside of Junior. Looses him
1: up,
3: picks up the track of their three wide. And here comes Kurt Busch to the inside of Chase Elliott.
5: Kurt Busch dives low into turn number one, and he's going to take the top spot away. It's all clear. It's all to take everyone. Good job. I think the rest of these cats
6: are saving here. The 41 was up there trying to save some fuel. He couldn't make it all the way, and I didn't know if we could. We all pitted around the same time. 41 needs to save to make it. We do not. Go get him. It's going to be a game where he can go the fastest to save the most.
2: I kept finding ways to think that I was saving fuel. I kept checking the mirror. kept checking my lap time on the dash. I felt like a cook in a kitchen trying to beat the buzzer and not get chopped.
7: We need about 15 laps, lifting 100 yards early. Minimize the shifts when you
2: can. Does Kurt Bush, Dale Jr., Chase Elliott, do they have enough fuel? I don't think
7: the 88 has to save anymore,
3: just do let pass
0: it. The
2: miles are
0: winding down, 12
2: to go. It's 1.1
7: seconds back, just keep lifting early.
2: Does Kurt Bush
3: have enough fuel? White flag is out,
7: Kurt Leading
3: them for the final time here at Pocono. So far, so good for Kurt Busch. I'm about to hand back here.
2: Enough
0: fuel on a Monday afternoon. Kurt Busch will win at the Pocono Raceway. There you go, baby. Yeah! So proud, so proud. Johnny Gunslinger. Way to go, wow.
3: Not having Tony
2: Gibson here today, I know everybody gave that much more. And this is a win for Gibson. Thank you, guys. Job well done.
1: And interesting that we talk about an interim crew chief getting a win. And we had just talked about the (laughs) fact that the 18 team is going to have an interim crew chief when they go to Pocono. But a racetrack that is so unique, drivers all talk about, okay, every turn is different. A crew chief may be pulling his hair out because he has to set the car up to be as neutral as possible. But now throw in the fact that there are stages. The first time we're going to go to Pocono where you have stage racing 50, 50 and 60 With the fuel window being 38 to 40, how do you now attack Pocono as far as strategy?
2: I think this weekend stage racing is going to be at all-time high how people get after it. You know, If you're not running good, you can pit early at Pocono. If you're 12 to 14 seconds behind the leader, Rick, you can pit early and not get lapped. It's one of the few tracks that we can do that. We actually pit under green and not get lapped. So if you're having a bad stage one and you're within that target number, you'll just pit Two laps uh, before the stage ends, and you can get your tires and fuel and restart first or second, however many people do it. So uh, you can also do the same thing when stage two is coming to an end. You can also short pit and get yourself positioned up for the last 60-lap run. So it's definitely a a new twist at Pocono, and I'm really curious to see how the crew chiefs take this. Will people go after stage points, or will they be setting themselves up for the win?
1: Yeah. DJ, how difficult is it to save fuel? I mean, we just heard there where Kurt Busch was trying to save fuel. mm -hmm. Everyone was talking about uh, Dale Jr. didn't have to save fuel. How difficult is it to save fuel on that racetrack? Yeah,
3: when you're down, when you're shifting as much as they are, uh, some some teams uh, shifting at all three corners, uh, then that makes it very, very difficult. You have to be very precise in doing that and know exactly what you're doing because in saving fuel, you're going to back out early anyway. So you're going to try to stay off the brake, let your car roll uh, as far as you can, and then by that time your RPMs are down, so you have to make sure that you really get them matched up at that point. So in doing that, you have to maybe pat the gas a little bit, but you don't don't want to pad it hard because anytime you hit the gas, then you're using fuel. So there's a lot of things that go into it. But the biggest thing that can help a driver is having a good handling race car, staying off the brake, having a good handling race car, and let your chassis and tires do the work for you. If you can do that, then the possibility is there, especially on a a two-and-a-half-mile track. You can save quite a bit of fuel if you know what you're doing, but it's very, very difficult to do. And I think, as Slugger's pointing out, with the stages this time, I think that it may get the field spread out even more at times because you're talking about pitting, but it's going to make the restarts after these stages and any cautions wildly entertaining. This is going to be fun to watch.
1: So three years ago, we saw Steve Letart, Dale Earnhardt Jr., somewhat use the strategy I think you're talking about where they came in right after a restart. Uh, Just a few laps after the restart, they come onto pit Road, and you can see by Steve Letart's reaction that he knew he had just won this race. And
2: that's the type of strategy that comes into play here, almost like a road course. Sure, you had mentioned that we can run 38 to 40 laps on fuel. So, Stevie, what he did, obviously, was he worked the the race backwards like we do on road courses. And when he got to that number, he pitted. And, obviously, he's writing down right there, hey, guys, I just won this race.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that's, obviously, strategy so big here. You have to have a knowledgeable crew chief on top of the pit box. And as we mentioned again, the 18 team won't have Adam Stevens, a guy who's so familiar with the way Kyle Bush drives the strategy that he needs to win races, that's going to be a difficult task.
3: Yeah, it is. And as a driver from inside the race car, you don't know all of these strategies are going on. You have to totally rely and depend on your crew chief to let you know exactly what's happening and what you need to do. And, you know, If you're going to have to save fuel, I need to know immediately when I'm leaving Pit Road that that's what I need to do. So uh, it's going to be difficult. I mean, we talk about the challenges for crew chiefs are there all the time, but having someone
2: different there could be a real challenge. And I imagine if Ben doesn't make the right call, Kyle Busch is not shy on getting after people. So I'm sure Ben is, he probably won't sleep much this weekend. I'm sure he's ready for this, though. He's probably heard it before.
1: You used the word challenge. How about one driver who will be making his first ever Cup Series start? And it just so happens it will be at Pocono. Up next, what does Bubba Wallace hope to accomplish as he steps into the 43 car this weekend at Pocono? The Xfinity Series star talks about his Cup Series debut with DJ when we come back. And as Eric Almirola continues to recover from injury, Bubba Wallace will take over the 43 car for multiple races starting this weekend at Pocono. Now, the road to get here has not been easy.
5: What do you want to be known for? Um, a race car driver that happens to be black.
6: As a little boy, Daryl was very mischievous, always into something.
5: I mean, when he was, I think, four, he dressed up as a race car driver. Our first race was a um, national event down in Jasper, Florida. I uh, ended up wrecking. I asked him, you know, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm okay. It just scared me. I said, you want to get back out there? And he's like, well, it's wrecked. And I said, well, we can fix it. He's like, well, then let's fix it. And so we fixed it and he went back out there. The rest sister. some slurs thrown at me, but I was too young to understand it. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, incidences, name-calling, people saying they're letting him cheat because he's the only black kid out there. People showed him a lot of the number ones.
6: The um, N-word was used.
5: You know, he he asked us one time, you know, what the N-word means, and uh, we just had to sit down and talk to him and tell him what it was.
6: We've just taught him over the years that, you know, let your haters be your motivators.
5: I'd go out there and just keep winning, and eventually they'd either just get so mad they'd set up or, you know, finally accept the fact that I'm, you know, good.
4: Daryl Wallace Jr. is going to get his first win. He came up, he graduated through the drive Through Diversity program. have to acknowledge what this means historically for NASCAR, the first African-American driver
5: to win in nearly 50 years. It bothers Bubba that they put so much emphasis on a black driver winning. You know, I say we have to play that up to a certain extent because there's no one there, and... Wendell Scott started it all, and, and so it has to be played, and you know, we're trying to, to change this demographic of the sport.
6: It's important for him to know the black community looks at him, you know, and he feels that pressure, and he feels like everything is on his shoulders.
5: But at the end of the day, I'm just another kid out there trying to make a name for himself.
1: And I remember the first time I talked to him and what he started that interview off with, I want to be known as a race car driver who just happens to be black. Now, with his first cup start on Sunday, Bubba Wallace completes a climb up the racing ladder that began at the age of nine in karting. He's currently fourth in points in the Xfinity Series, where he's been for the last three seasons. But now, he's about to enter the sport's highest level. And earlier today, Wallace Jr. talked about the opportunity with DJ.
3: Well, Bubba, you're the story this week. Uh, A lot of things happening uh, in NASCAR around, but uh, now it's your time uh, to to be in the spotlight, so to speak. I I know you've been around for a while uh, in the trucks, Xfinity Series. But let's go kind of a timeline here. From Saturday, you finish eighth in the Xfinity race at Dover, uh, to now, all of a sudden, you don't have the Xfinity ride anymore, but you're in the Cup Series, not only there, but in the 43 car of Richard Petty.
5: Yeah, there's a lot of factors going on this weekend. Um, and I think, from what I know, we saw this last Xfinity race this weekend, mm-hmm. so I'll be pulling double duty. Um, so there's nothing like pulling double duty for your first Monster Energy NASCAR Cup start, at Pocono in the 43, I don't know if you can add any more to that <laughs> list. So it's uh, it's definitely been a, a, a crazy 72 hours for me and um, and just trying to really take it all in stride and, and really yeah. let it sink in. And um, I knew about it a couple of days before we announced it. And I think the, the stress factor of, of not knowing what was next from the Xfinity program was right. kind of overshadowing that. But then Monday, once the announcement rolled out and I was at the shop, been able to sit in the car, get my seat right. I texted my girlfriend, and I was like, okay, it's finally kind of hit me a little bit. Like, uh-huh. hey, this is this is a real deal. So uh, what an incredible, incredible, unique, not the way you want to get the opportunity. Yeah. Obviously, thinking about Eric and his family and getting back for a speedy recovery. But um, thankful for the opportunity from Richard Petty, everybody RPM, Smithfield, Ford. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. So speaking of Richard Petty, have you had a chance yet to have sit down and talk with the King? I have not. I have not. That's the one person on the list that... It's going to see him at the racetrack and be yeah. like, uh, you know, it's going to be really cool. And I've always ran into Richard and always he's always had great things to say. And it's being able to cool to talk to some of the icons like yourself, like Richard, uh, of, our, of our sport and be able to drive his number in the, in the Petty Blue um, Smithfield Fusion. It's going to be cool. Yeah.
3: So from that perspective, is there any added pressure? Uh, I, I know race drivers, you're always under pressure by what you put on yourself, yeah. but it, could there have been another scenario coming into the cup series where maybe wasn't in the 43 car and and maybe had all the eyes on it or is this a better situation for you
5: i think this is a better situation um like i said i didn't know what was next Mm -hmm. you know after poking on our xfinity race that was it for me um not going to the racetrack anymore um i was trying to figure out what i was going to do next making a list on my phone what can i do to get a source of income um you know the things that you don't you don't usually think about when you're racing um and now like i'm 23 and um, i guess i'm a grown man uh still a big kid a little (laughs) kid whatever you want to call it uh trying to figure those things out is pretty tough but uh this opportunity to come about and it's it's all about timing and it's crazy how how god works and one door closes another one opens up so you Mm -hmm. never know where this will take us uh it's a snowball effect just like your story we were talking about here Um, I got a couple races in this but who knows what these couple races can bring sure. uh, after this after this journey so I'm excited about it it's a great opportunity for me to go out there um, no no added pressure I think years past I would have a ton of pressure myself mm-hmm. we had to go out there and be on top of the board for practice and something I've never even been in that's like ridiculous mm-hmm. and, and now for me it's go out there and Whatever our balance is, let's try to increase on that, make right. it a little bit better than what we fire off with. Obviously, we're going to be faster than how we start off the weekend, just from experience, just from comfortability. Mm-hmm. Seat time is only going to gain once from once I get out of the car, once I get out of it on Sunday. And uh, we're going to look to capitalize on that. No need to stick our nose in there, um, let the leaders kind of bobble up, be like, oh, I can pounce on that, and the next thing uh-huh. you know, I'm on the hook. Uh-huh. Settle down. Um, take it in stride. Take it lap by lap, and just watch what watch watch what's out the front windshield and learn from it. Yeah. So before we talk a little more about Pocono
3: specifically, how about the the idea and what goes through your mind? You're you're very talented. You've shown that you can can win at all of these uh, series in, in the right situation. Uh, but when you see some of the drivers uh, that are kind of your peers and you know drivers. Uh, Ryan Blaney, mm-hmm. good friend Chase yeah. Elliott. Um, w- when you see these drivers, Eric Jones get opportunities in the Cup Series, mm-hmm. and-, and you're left there. I- is it a sit- is it a motivating situation, or are you
5: sitting saying, "Why not me?" It's it's a little bit of both. It's like it's pretty cool. Um, it's pretty cool to, to, to watch them. Like how cool I uh, race against Ryan. Uh, we're really good friends, Chase, and and to see them get their opportunity, awesome. I'm pumped up for him. But then after a while, it's like, man, I'm home on Sun or home on Sundays mm-hmm. watching them. And it's like, man, I could be out there. I've, I've beat them plenty of times growing up. Yeah. I'm going to go to the go-kart track and whip up on them right now. <laughs> um, it's all about timing. And, you know, mm-hmm. their, their scenarios worked out perfectly. And um, and my, my path, everybody's path is different. My path was obviously different from how your path is and, and how Ryan's path was and how Chase's. And, and it's all about that timing when the right opportunity presents itself they were there to capitalize mine just happened to happen a couple months later a couple of years later and now we're here now it's my time to go out there and show them what i got so this
3: is somewhat of an audition uh and i know you're up for the challenge there but let's say i'm a car owner uh i can't say i'm richard petty because nobody's right. that but i'm a car owner and i have a sponsor potential sponsor sitting right beside me uh Why Bubba Wallace? Why are you the driver that we need to put in our race car uh, to go be successful?
5: That's a tough one. i got so many factors that go into it. I don't know if you're going to find a more fierce guy behind the wheel, um, whether that's the right time or the wrong time on the racetrack. I'm going to go for it and give it all 200% each and every time. Um, From outside of the racetrack or outside of the car, um, good luck finding a younger guy that has the attitude and the personality all on camera, yeah. being able to deliver. Hopefully I deliver the messages and the key points in the right way and represent your brand the best way I can. Um, and you, you won't find somebody that's that's different from when you see him at at uh, a, a restaurant outside of the racetrack versus mm-hmm. when you see him on camera inside the racetrack. I'm the same guy. Um, if I'm mad about something inside the racetrack, I'll probably be mad at the restaurant <laughs> until I get a good Coca-Cola in me <laughs> and I'll be good. But you're not going to get that two-person personality i like to keep it real i keep it 100 and uh, just go out there and have fun you know a lot of these guys are coming in and i'll I'll rag on blaney he's kind of just square you know (laughs) but for me i like to have fun i like to cut up and have fun with you it's it's a serious time for me in my career but you always got to have that little positive light and and have fun with everything that you do in life
3: so besides being in a cup car for the first time Tell me about the challenges of Pocono as a driver. I, it was one of my favorite places to race. Uh, what do you think about the place?
5: Yeah, it's it's it hasn't been one of my favorites. It's been one of the toughest places yeah. for me to race at. Uh, I think just from the rhythm side, um, I think the added pressure now is, is, is shifting. Uh, yeah. I've never been able to do that in our Xfinity program or even the truck program, so there's always, there's there's another thing to add to that slate, driving the 43, shifting. <laughs> um, it's it's going to be tough, but I'm, I'm ready for the challenge. We spent a lot of time on the on the Ford simulator these past two days, just getting in that rhythm, getting comfortable with, with how the ins and outs work of these cup cars. Uh, with the new downforce package, the speeds are going to be really fast and in turn one, yeah. so I was able to talk to Harvick last night on his show with Matt Yoakum, and uh, he says, check up before you actually, you know, fill everything out, yeah. you know, hit the brakes early, fill it out. Cause you'll, you'll be hauling the mail uh, down in the turn one. So I think that's going to be uh, an extra little feature that we'll have to work in on and just get comfortable. All right, but thanks for taking the time and wish you nothing but the best. I I feel like that
3: you're someone that could bring a lot to this sport in the right situation. And I hope this is the the right audition for you and uh, good luck this
1: weekend. Thanks
5: DJ. appreciate it.
1: And we now welcome Parker Kligerman on set with us. Uh, but first I want to go back and you get a sense uh, when you're interviewing a person or when you're talking to somebody, just the way the aura about him. How was that sitting with him at the Hall of Fame talking about what's coming up this weekend?
3: Yeah, you know, I always enjoy talking and listening, but he has so much to offer and I'm gonna give a little shout out to a sponsor here that somebody's missing the boat uh with this young man. Now we're sitting beside another one, this very talented driver that that probably is deserving, but there's thousands of race drivers out there, but Bubba Wallace has so much to bring to this sport that that could be really good for our sport to help it to grow. He's so very talented. Uh, In the right situation to where he doesn't have to overdrive the race car, you get him in a really good race car, I think that he could do some really good things. And as he pointed out, he's very confident in himself, and that's what you have to be and a sponsor wants. And, you know, he's really a sponsor's dream. I mean, as he talked about the stuff on social media, we've kept up with him and Blaney and the others. It's a lot of fun, but you get this feeling that, yes, he's not going there. He knows Pocono's difficult, couldn't be going to a more difficult track, but he's going there with the right attitude. He wants to go, if this race car is a 20th place car, he said, if I can make it, finished better than that, then I've done uh, a successful job. And this is an audition of sorts. We had talks about uh, things that I went through of getting a break with the Wood Brothers when Neil Bonnet was injured. I said, you never know where these things come
7: from. And uh, he's ready to take on this challenge, and I hope it works for him. And from that piece, one thing he mentioned is how he is the same person inside the racetrack as he is outside the racetrack. And I can attest to that. I've spent time with him outside the racetrack. He is that outgoing, fun personality that you see on camera, that you experience right yeah. there. Very confident, yes, yes, and almost to the cocky side of confident. But you know what? That's what you want to see from a young driver. You want to see them have that confidence in themselves. Know that they, they have something to offer. That if they're given that opportunity, given that chance to get in the right car, that they're going to make it happen because that's the guys that go out there and do make it happen and i think he does have all the right assets here and as he said there though this opportunity is that opportunity for him it is it's that door opening when another closes and i think as you said with with knowing that he if it's a 20th place car and he gets a little bit more out of it then that's a very successful day and that's the key thing he understands he's confident he knows what he can offer but at the same time he understands what level of opportunity this is
1: I can attest to that as well. He was uh, probably the best defender on my basketball team that we just won a championship, <laughs> by the way. there's, oh, there, yes. Yeah, we're sporting the trophies. So uh, Bubba Wallace was, was uh, very difficult to get by and to score on. So I was thankful for that. But uh, let's talk a little bit about his first start, his first Cup Series start. It hadn't been that long ago that you were in that same situation. How difficult is it to make that very first start?
7: Well, I really related when he talked about getting to the shop the first time and sitting in the car and that was the first time he said okay this is real like this is happening and I had that same feeling as I the end of 2013 came around and I was in almost a similar situation wasn't sure I was doing the Xfinity series as it was coming to an end and I got this cup series opportunity and I, I, I got to the shop for the first time, and I was kind of unsure about things, didn't really know the team that well. And I got to sit in the car. They had mounted my seat already for the first time, and I sat there and felt like, this is right. This is this is what I planned my whole life for, was to be there. And we actually went out to Texas and got the best finish for that team that they'd had. It was a team, I believe, that was outside the top 13 points, and we finished 18th. It was incredible uh, first time. And, and for me, the way I approached it was similar to how he's feeling right now, which was, I felt like... I knew the level of the car and only if I just did that level or a little bit better then I was going to have a good day. And so we really raced to the level of the car. But in terms of doing that, got a little bit lucky, had a lot of speed. <laughs> it kind of felt like it came to us and we had a great day. And I hope that's the same for Bubba. Yeah. It's always difficult when that first time because
3: uh, you, you have been successful in other forms and now you're up against the very best. So Trying to put those things in perspective. My first time came at Martinsville uh, with Emmanuel Cervakus. It was kind of a one-off deal. Butch Lanley had driven this car and, and one of the greatest short track racers ever. Uh, and so this was an opportunity. But at Martinsville, where it's so so difficult, and I think we ended up having a top 15 day or something like that. I raced uh, probably the last 50 laps with Dale Earnhardt. We weren't on the same lap. I was a lap down. He was on the lead lap. But I learned so much, and and, and it was just so exciting to be there with that opportunity. And I thought you were coming to me first until you said not that long ago. And then I realized <laughs> you were going to Parker.
1: It was only three decades ago. Yeah, you uh, know what I just remembered about my, my
7: first start, though? Funny enough, uh, towards the end of the race, one of the last cars I passed to get an 18th was a 43 car. Huh.
1: Well, yeah. and yeah. So, I yeah. want to bring that up, too, in the fact that, DJ, maybe give us the magnitude of historically what is happening this weekend. An African American driver is going to drive the iconic yeah. 43 car. In the Cup Series. I mean, yeah. it's been quite some time.
3: Yeah, it has been. And I think that there's so much more to this than just. Bubba Wallace and being a replacement driver in the 43 car, you know, there's so many things that could come from this, and, and I think that Bubba realizes this, but he's ready for that challenge. It doesn't, it hasn't seemed to faze him. Now, I know that he had done many interviews before he and I sat down, so he might have been worn down. So, but it, the enthusiasm is there, but it's not overwhelming to him that okay, I have this chance. It's in the 43 car. I appreciate this opportunity, but there's so many good things that can come from this, and and we're obviously wishing Eric to come back uh, as, as soon as he possibly can and everything's good with him. But this is just a great chance for Bubba to
7: showcase his talents right here in front of the world. And I think he understands the gravity of the situation. You know, that yeah. what he's, what he, him being in the Cup Series is doing for the sport, what the, the eyes, the attention it's bringing to the sport right now. But as we saw there and as you heard him say, I don't think there's any better representative than Bubba yeah. Wallace right now to do that, to pad that pressure on his shoulders and he's relishing that and that's what I'm excited to see is I think he's really in the right frame of mind right now to go out there have a good run and take that pressure and use it positively
1: dj you brought it up in the interview one of the young guys that he has been keeping his eye on has been chase elliott and the, the growth of what he's been able to do coming up chase elliott finished fifth at dover and is poised to make another run at the playoffs so why is he disappointed we'll let chase explain next there as another chapter in the Earnhardt Legacy comes to a close. Dale Jr. takes to the track at historic Daytona International Speedway one last time. on Saturday, July 1st only on NBC. And we're just 24 days away from that night. Speaking of the number 24, Jeff Gordon drove the 24 car to Victory Lane in Daytona's first ever night race back in 1998. The race was moved from its traditional July date due to, or October because of the summer wildfires which had affected the region. Now as for the current driver of the 24 car, Chase Elliott appears poised for another playoff run. Elliott rallied from a speeding penalty and falling a lap down to finish fifth Sunday at Dover and currently he's fourth on that list as far as points for drivers above the cutoff line but trying to get in on points. He's looking for much more than he got last weekend though.
5: We didn't have anything for, for Jimmy or Larson, so we uh, still need a little bit. and Fighting for that, trying to find it. Myself, personally, obviously, our, our cars are fast enough. Teammate has won um, a few times, which is good for the company. And I just got to do my job and, and find whatever he has uh, in, his, in his pocket. You know, he brings the racetrack each week. And um, If not, you're not going to beat him. That's just the facts. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a finish. I mean, I wouldn't call it good, but it, it's a finish. So we're, uh, you know, we're ready to take the next step I and mean, we need to when it's time for, we've been around long enough, we ought to be able to make that next step and um, no excuse not to.
1: And Slugger Labby joining us once again. And Slugger, you've been around young drivers that are getting into the sport, trying to get their feet underneath them. Chase Elliott seems to be very, very hard on himself. Is that working?
2: Well, he had big shoes to fill. Filling Jeff Gordon's seat is not an easy job for anybody, but Rick, the biggest thing with a rookie driver or or fresh driver is slowing them down. They try too hard sometimes and and make the race car try to do things that it can't physically do. So as a crew chief, you have to try to make sure the driver is not overdriving the car and make sure that he's driving the car of the capability of the car. So, and another thing that's also important, Rick is when things go bad, uh, a bad restart or a pit road speeding penalty or a bad pit stop, you have to be there to support your young driver to make sure he stays focused forward on the task at hand. That's coming up next. So it's, it's a tough job to slow down a driver, a young driver like Parker, but, uh, you know, sometimes when you go to save fuel, you actually go faster. And that's simply by backing up the entry and letting the race car do the work instead of you doing the work for the race car. So there's a fine line of what a race car needs, but a young driver is always wanting to mash the gas. Here's
7: my thought. I'm not going to tell Chase Elliott how to live his life or how to act in front of, you know, his after a race and such and what his emotions are dictating at the time, but I do think he's a little hard on himself. I do think we've seen multiple times in the last year where he comes – to the end of a race, and he says, here's all the things I did wrong. Here's all the things I could have done better. This and that, and oh, it's all my fault. And this, and it continues to go, and it becomes, at some point, it's not, it's almost self-disserving because he's, he's hurting himself by letting his own psyche not think, you know, hey, I can do this. I can compete with these guys. And the, the flip side of it is, he's a young guy and one of the best rides in NASCAR right now in his second season, eighth in points. There's a lot of positive things going on in Chase Elliott's life. He's up there fighting for wins. He's up there... Being able to learn from a seven-time champion like Jimmy Johnson That's the things that you need to be positive about. Find the positive aspect of those things, and that can help you maybe not focus so harshly on yourself to be able to go out there and get the best performance to go to victory lane. And you think back to Pocono last year. He had a chance to win that race. He makes a move at the end that he felt like was maybe a little aggressive on his teammate. And therefore, after the race, he said, oh, I did that. That's my fault. Well, guess what? As you said, Slugger, you want to see a young driver go up there and try and make a mistake and be overly enthusiastic about the fact that you're maybe going to get your first win, but then learn from it and make it better the next time. And I don't think you need to be as harsh on yourself when there's so many positive things going on and so many things that he's done well throughout the last year or last year and a half.
1: And one of the things I've been very impressed with him is his maturity level. Even if something happens with the team, he still takes it personally and says, you know what, it, it, it was all of us. Uh, even if he could have put the blame on his team for something that might have happened, he's, he will take the blame as... The driver of the car, and so many times it comes down to all the drivers say, you know, we're the ones who hold the wheel. Uh, We're the ones who push the the gas and the brakes. You uh, know
7: what? I just had to add one more thing, though. Here's the crazy part. His teammate, the seven-time champ that he says I need to be as good as, Jimmy Johnson's won three races this season but has zero stage wins. Chase Elliott, two stage wins. That's two playoff points. That's the positive, right? That's thinking he has the wins, but I got stage wins. That's the positive mental outlook he needs to get.
1: 50 States in 50 Days continues on NASCAR America coming up. The My Home Track Tour rolls into South Carolina, a place where the sport takes a trip back in time to revisit the early days of NASCAR. As you can see, some embrace this trip much more than others.
3: Is supposed to be the meanest racetrack.
1: This is Darlington International Raceway, the granddaddy of them all. He's in trouble!
0: In trouble! It's happened.
3: And he certainly appears to be unconscious. son of oh. Because that place is our roots. Name the great ones. Darlington will
4: tell you which are the greatest.
3: You think it's going to be just another
1: Sunday drive? No, ma'am. South Carolina's Darlington Raceway is one of the signature tracks in all of NASCAR. In addition, some of the NASCAR's greatest racers hail from the Palmetto State. Names like David Pearson, Cale Yarborough, Bud Moore, and the late Cotton Owens, all members of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. When you think of racetracks in South Carolina, everyone's first thought is Darlington. However, South Carolina has many short tracks with their own identities and history. Places like Greenville Pickens and Myrtle Beach. And today's featured track... Anderson Motor Speedway. Anderson was built by Rupert Porter and continues to be operated by his family to this very day. Opening in 1963, this three eighths of a mile bullring hosts NASCAR sanctioned racing from March through October. This September, the track will host the eighth annual Rupert Porter Memorial Shrine Race in honor of its founder. And DJ South Carolina is dotted. All around with tracks like Anderson. But I think so many times when we think of South Carolina, you think of Darlington. You won at that racetrack three times. Such history at that track.
3: Yeah, it really is. And you can't help but think of it because it's probably the most difficult racetrack a driver in the Cup Series or Xfinity Series will ever race on. The the challenges are just immense. And, you know, I have so much history that goes back there from being a kid uh back to 1965 uh you know here's me being able to win uh never won the southern 500 but got three of the spring races and i think they were probably some of the ones that uh, were most gratifying to me because you know how difficult the racetrack is but 1965 my dad won the race the southern 500 uh by a mere 14 laps <laughs> uh, which is a record but just an incredibly hot day there and everything and and go to victory lane and and be able to celebrate with my dad that was great, and what my dad accomplished was fantastic, but I'll date myself a little bit. If you remember the show, there I am, down in the right-hand corner there. You uh, don't have a mustache. Yeah, no, not, no, I knocked a tooth out, I think, so I had to shave at okay. that time. So, But Doc and Festus from Gunsmoke were there yeah. and there. Yeah, so that was the big thing to me. Yeah, dad won, but he had won a lot, so we you know, kind of did that. The other thing that was great, big, huge scoreboard in the infield, yeah. and it was fenced-off area, and it was basically a playground for those of us that uh, were families of, of the drivers and things. So Kyle Petty and Ricky and Larry Pearson, Davey Allison, among others, uh, we would go in there during the race and play you know, football, uh, bas- uh, baseball, whatever we wanted to do, just competing. But, you know, with like 50 laps to go or something, we had to kind of get back and look up at the scoreboard to see if one of our dads was going to be the one going to Victory Lane because we had to make a trip there. So it was a lot of fun, a lot of great memories, and uh, you know, a very, very special place, one of my favorites. and love to go back there with the throwback weekends we have now
1: bragging rights as a kid wouldn't that be great uh, at Darlington Raceway so much history and so much fun at that racetrack coming out Denny Hamlin heads to a place he wants dominated as he looks for his first win of the year and a spot in the playoffs can Pocono be just what the doctor ordered nascar america is brought to you by duluth trading tough ingenious workwear designed and tested by tradesmen welcome back revisiting our big story of the day after kyle bush lost the wheel following an early pit stop sunday at dover nascar has suspended crew chief adam stevens tire changer jake seminara and tire carrier Kenny barber for the next four cup series races Sunday's incident was the second of the weekend where a wheel fell off a race car. In Friday's truck series race, Chase Briscoe lost a wheel, and NASCAR has also penalized his number 29 team from Brad Keselowski Racing, suspended for the next four races or crew chief Mike Hillman Jr. and two other crew members. Denny Hamlin's car for this year's Brickyard 400 will feature a special FedEx Cares paint scheme. Indy-based FedEx employee Rayshie Powell who owns her spare time, enjoys her spare time as a community volunteer, has been selected to help Denny design it. Following the event earlier this week, actually, Hamblin was able to speak with Nate Ryan.
4: An eighth-place finish at Dover. Denny, I know that wasn't quite what you were looking for, but that's also not one of your best tracks, and all of your teammates ran well there. That comes on the heel of Charlotte, where all of you guys all ran well there as well.
6: Are, are we beginning to see the turnaround here for Joe Gibbs Racing? I certainly hope so. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of hard work that's been put in to to make us better uh, and get us a little better as the season goes, and so uh, we don't expect uh, big changes overnight. Uh, I think that uh, it's a slow process to get back to the top of the mountain. Um, and, and really for our 11 FedEx car in particular, you know, we need to still get a little bit better as well. So I think that there's a, there's a lot to be gained within our organization, uh, but probably just as much to be gained, uh, with myself and my personal team.
4: When Joe Gibbs racing went through a little bit of a slump a couple of years ago, Denny, I can remember you saying that, that Joe Gibbs got in the competition room and, and pounded his fist a little bit and set things right and said, Hey, we're going to fix this. What has been the mood like in 2017? Has there been a little bit of that tension? Has there been some,
6: uh, adamant Joe Gibbs talk about, Hey, we've got to get this thing turned around. Uh, all the time. I mean, with every week that passes that we don't have a win. Yeah. It, 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 the intensity definitely gets ramped up, but you know, I'm, proud to drive for a car owner that's here every morning at 7.38 o'clock, and he's here working within the shop to try to figure out where we can get more speed. How can we be better uh, at the racetracks with our setups, our cars, our aero, th- all types of different aspects of what makes your weekend successful. He's here working on it. So um, it's not from the lack of effort. Uh, we're we're going to continue to get better. We have already feel like we've turned the corner, uh, but uh, you know we'll, we'll get there sooner than later. Was there one aspect in particular, you felt you were lacking. Was it handling,
4: or aero or engine, or anything in particular?
6: You know, I thought we were just a little off in every department. Uh, you know, I talked uh, in, in my Richmond press conference about, you know, hey, we're this is not gonna. It's gonna take a little while. This is gonna take months to overcome the deficit that we had. And I feel like, uh, you know, a month later, we're we're getting there. We're, we've cut into it, you know, about a third of where we need to be. So I'm confident that when the playoffs come around and Uh, that uh, we're going to be performing at a high level, and uh, that's when it really, really counts. Do
4: do you feel like then you go to Pocono, a place where engine and aero obviously matter a lot, and have a shot at winning?
6: Yeah, I I feel like uh, really the last couple mile-and-a-half racetracks, uh, Kansas and Charlotte, We've had top five cars. and So I go to Pocono with, yeah, with a lot of optimism. Uh, that's a track that we used to dominate every time we went to. Obviously the repave changed a whole lot of things, but that track is starting to age where uh, some of the techniques that I used to use around that place uh, is really starting to come back. And so uh, I, we're confident when we go there, we can win. Um, we always show up to the racetrack confident that we can win, uh, but uh, you know, knowing how we've run over the last couple mile and a half, so it's given us a little bit more encouragement. Pocono is
4: special to you because first two wins there in 2006, you have four wins there. You said some of those tricks might be working
6: again. Do you, do you think you might recapture the magic of, of 11 years ago? Would love to. Would love to. The The old asphalt and Denny Hamlin did really well uh, at Pocono. It, for whatever reason, I just adapted to that racetrack uh, back when you weren't shifting and, and when there was multiple grooves in the middle of one and two, or turn one, I guess, there. So. It's starting to widen out just a little bit, so the, the old Pocono's starting to come back, uh, but it just takes a long time for these new surfaces to wear in, but, yeah, I'm very confident when we go there this weekend, we're going to be a force to be reckoned with. All right. well, Denny Hamlin has a couple of
4: wins, four wins, actually, at Pocono. He'll try to extend that this uh, Sunday.
1: The Pocono Raceway had been the personal playground of Denny Hamlin. He won four of his first 12 starts there, then... The replay took place in 2012. Hamlin's numbers dramatically dipped. In fact, he's led only 30 laps in the 10 races following that replay. So for Denny Hamlin to go back to Pocono, if it was the old Pocono, he's got to feel comfortable. But now it's, it hasn't really been that good for him, You know, only, late, only leading 30 laps over the last 10 races there. How does he take that as a positive going into this weekend?
7: Well, I also have to admit something myself. When we knew we were going to talk about Denny Hamlin, I actually had to kind of look up what Denny Hamlin had done this season because he's been so under the radar. You know, with JGR slump, we've seen the 18 car kind of be their highlight, but Denny has seemingly not been around. It's been like, what, where, where did he finish? And I, I saw he finished fifth at Charlotte. I said, oh, yeah, that's right. They had a good run there. That's a positive. You heard him talk about Kansas. That's a positive. He can bring He can bring those things to this racetrack, but – as he talked about there, the repave really took away some of his tricks, what made him good there. He was really good on that old, bumpy, worn-out surface and some things he knew he needed from the race car. And he just doesn't have that feel now. And adding that Joe Gives Racing is not where it wants to be. I, I thought it was funny he mentioned that comment from his Richmond press conference, because I wrote that comment down where he talked about it wasn't going to be overnight that JGR was going right. to fix this problem. It wasn't going to be within the week. It wasn't going to be within a month. And now we're a month away, and he's saying, well, it's going to take longer than a month. And it, this is a building process for this race team. They can take the positive that they have been consistent enough to find themselves ninth in points, but as he goes into a racetrack that he had so much former success at – I think he needs to adjust his own mentality there to say, okay, this is kind of like starting over. And that's maybe what Denny Hamlin needs to do. And coming in there knowing that JGR isn't the best maybe allows him to take that mentality.
3: Yeah. As good as FedEx is uh, in their business, they can't deliver this overnight as to what they (laughs) need. So this is a process. But this process is working right now. And the things that made Denny Hamlin really good on the old surface is goes back to his short track days to where he's he's a very smooth break uh, on the break. And that's what you have to be getting into the corner where you don't upset your car too much. And he's very good at getting back to the gas, Where especially on old surfaces to where it's hard to hook up all of that horsepower. So they kind of took that away from him. But he's coming back, as he said, he'll be very competitive there. Uh, it's, it's difficult to go through these type things. But they've got a great leader, as he pointed out, with Joe Gibbs. And when the other teams are going through these things, they really put a lot of pressure on the drivers to perform. We've got to have this win for the sponsors. Well, they have Joe Gibbs, who can take care of the sponsors right. very well, so they don't have to worry about that, just get these things going in the right direction by playoff time
1: i've noticed that you guys have all taken breaks during this show i think it's my turn so i'm going to actually hand over the hosting duties Uh to parker kligerman on the other side of the commercial break and i'll take myself a short little break so pocono raceway one of the most unique tracks in all of nascar three long straights with three distinct turns up next our panel of experts will examine the challenges of racing at the track called the tricky triangle
3: got a serious vibration started hopping. A fiery crash in turn one.
0: Oh my God, Oh. oh my God. It knocked the breath out of me. Definitely the hardest hit I've ever had in a race car.
7: Welcome back to NASCAR America. We have kicked Rick Allen to the curb. And the inmates are running the asylum now. We've taken over. Yep. And DJ, we saw you in there having mm-hmm. that big wreck of Pocono. But I want to talk about the restarts at Pocono. That's mm-hmm. where it starts to get crazy with that long straightaway. Yeah. And as they, we show this, it's a lot of fun. As a driver, it's a lot of
3: fun to watch as a fan, but it gets very intense, especially late in these races. You can't keep up with where everybody is going. And the further back that people are, the better run that they get sometimes. And, and you really just have to kind of hold your lane. And the problems start when people start trying to make switches with their lanes. Uh, but it is very entertaining to watch. And from a driver's perspective, you just know that you have to get a good restart. If you don't, you're talking about like a super speedway to where you can lose 10, 12 spots at a time. So it's very important to make all of that happen and get yourself situated before you get headed down the back straightaway down to the tunnel turn. And
7: nowhere does the side draft come into more effect immediately than on that straightaway because you're up to such a fast speed before you ever get to turn one. And Slugger, as we talk about getting to turn one these cars are going to be going incredibly fast this weekend in the, at Pocono, and brakes become an issue there. You don't think about it that often in a place this fast, but brakes are definitely an issue with how much speed they're carrying into the corners.
2: Definitely. Brakes are, are the topic to me at Pocono. And what happens is they go through so, so many heat cycles. You go in the corner, you use, the driver uses the brake, they heat up to 1,200 degrees, which is optimal for the brake package that teams run at Pocono. The problem is you have the long pond straightaway, and then the shorts shoot off for turn two, and then the, long, the front stretch is really, really long, and, and if you're going to have brake problems, it's going to turn one. But what happens as the brakes get hot, they get cool, what happens is the rotor will actually warp. And as the driver's going, you'll have what we call knockback. The pads will knock back off the rotor because the rotor's warped. So the driver will say, man, I'm losing my brake pedal. He'll start pumping up the brakes, putting the brakes through more cycles than what they used to. And eventually, the rotor will just simply give out. And typically, it happens going into turn one, the worst spot for that to happen. And you lose your brakes and go in the wall, and your day's over. But it's not a comfortable feeling for a driver or a crew chief when, when the driver says, my brakes are starting to fade because you know it's a matter of time and there's not much you can do and pulling brake tape off is not going to fix your problem it's going to make it worse because the brakes actually need to get hotter not cooler and and a brake issue at any track is not very good yeah
7: and that's that brake shake I and mean, when you feel that brake shake yeah. dj you've had it before it's it's unsettling for the drivers you said because you don't have control over the brake really yeah it's yeah like, it's like inconsistent in yeah sense. you
3: don't know how much it's going so as you feel that you feel like that you almost need to apply more brake which are only creating more of it issue by heating it up more. So there's so many things that go on. But as you said, we saw some vicious crashes there. I mean, Jeff Gordon, that's one of the hardest hits I've ever seen anybody take. And it happens at the end of that long straightaway. And with this lower downforce package, they're already going to be loose getting in there. If your car isn't handling right, then your friend is that brake pedal to get you slowed down, but it also works against you in just what we're talking about here. So well, I think
7: we we've seen issues this year. We're yeah. going to probably see more this weekend. And what better way to show the fans what we're talking about than maybe to go on board here? We got two drivers and a crew chief in here, and we're going go on board with Danica <laughs> Patrick. Looks like we're on a restart. We're heading down to turn one. You'll be approaching this corner at or over 200 miles an hour in a qualifying lap. And slugger, this is when you get down to turn one, right about here. lady drives in a downshift.
2: That's hard on the transmissions. It definitely is, and it's hard, hard on the drivers because they haven't shifted since last August at Watkins Glen, so they have to get back in that rhythm of shifting. Some teams will shift all the way around the racetrack. That's really hard, DJ, to shift off a of turn, Two. I know you've been yeah. through this before, but... As a driver, most teams will shift off of turn one and turn three to get the most performance.
7: And now we're going to turn two, DJ, which is reminiscent of Indianapolis Mercer. we It's supposed to line up with that. One of the fastest corners you'll experience in all of the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. And now into turn three, flat, one of the hardest corners here. Yeah, and, and taking your hands off the
3: steering wheel here is never a good idea, but you do have to downshift. And so trying to make all of that work and being precise at it and knowing exactly when to do that to get the most out of your lap and the most out of your engine and not Overread the engine, not create problems for transmissions, for rear-end gears, all kinds of things that can happen at this particular racetrack because of all of that that we don't see at other places.
7: Yeah, and as a driver at that racetrack, I always focused on turn three, making my race car work there because why? You're hit on the longest straightaway. Well, this has been fun, guys, but I think <laughs> we should let the professionals back in or the professional Rick Allen. <laughs> so we're going to bring him back on here soon. Uh, and up next, we're going to get into the huge news of the day and exactly how it affects the 18-team going forward.
0: Truex Jr. at the point. Joey Logano alongside. 16 laps, bud.
3: Ready? Green flag. 16 laps to go. Once again, a great Start by Martin Truex Jr. All clear. 3.2 second lead. Can everything stay right? White flag. 78. He left
0: a pretty safe boys. One more. One more turn. Turn three right here.
5: He has been so close so many times this season. Out of turn two for the final time,
3: and at the front of the field for Martin Truex Jr. 20 car lengths over Kevin. Hartman. The wait is over for Martin Truex Jr. He's going back to victory lane for the
0: third time in his career. All right, my brother. You got it. Martin Truex Jr. going into chase victory lane, baby.
1: Absolutely looking forward to Pocono. The big news of the day, though, NASCAR has suspended the 18-team crew chief Adam Stevens, tire changer Jake Seminara, and tire carrier Kenny Barber for the next four Cup Series races. After wheel came off, Kyle Busch's car following a pit stop in Sunday's race at Dover. We asked you, the fans, do you think this penalty was too steep? Do you think it was uh, right on, just right, too lenient? And it was overwhelming that you all thought that it was too harsh uh some of you are siding obviously with Kyle Bush uh fans there potentially I think
7: the two lenient are just Kyle Bush fan or not Kyle Bush fans <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not Kyle Bush Yeah, and,
1: and and Parker while we have you here uh as far as this situation that has come up for this team how difficult will it be for them to go through the next four races without Adam Stevens. It's
7: going to be very difficult, you know, just in terms of, once again, it's another distraction for this race team. We just talked about his teammate Denny Ham a little bit ago that Joe Gibbs Racing is in this sort of phase where they're trying to get back into victory lane, and you don't need this distraction. I'm going to agree with the fans here that I think this penalty is too harsh, but the rules were written as they were, and so NASCAR had to enforce this rule as was written in the rule book. But going forward, I'm hopeful that this penalty will be reworked or re-looked at because this penalty does not fit the crime, in my opinion. And I know fans out there might be thinking, well, you know, maybe they could have looked at the intent. They didn't intend Slugger to go out there and, and let that wheel come off that and ruin their race. But I'm glad NASCAR didn't measure intent because that becomes a slippery slope. When do you not and when do you measure intent? All those different things. So I think when you look at this penalty, it's, it needs a rework of the actual penalty. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad NASCAR followed through with holding upholding it, and we can go from here saying, you know what, we need to rework this or look at it again.
2: I'm curious to see how Joe Gibbs Racing reacts to this. And if you watch the video, the Jackman was simply, he never looked back at the left rear tire changer he just simply let the jack down. So will they institute a play where the tire carrier waves his hand and that's a signal for the jack man to let the jack down? So I'm curious to see how they react, but it's definitely on the jack man here. And I'm surprised that NASCAR didn't do something and he simply never looked back to see if all five were tight or sometimes four. But uh, it's definitely something that Joe Gibbs and other race teams will look at, critique, and I'm sure a lot of race teams will make changes.
1: And just so everybody's familiar, this rule was put in place At the time when NASCAR wasn't mandating that all five lug nuts were tight on the car. So they wanted to make a penalty that was very, very steep. If somebody did decide to just put two lug nuts on and that wheel came off, they knew that they had to pay this penalty, which right now the 18 team is paying. Well, things have changed where NASCAR mandates that all five lug nuts are tight on the wheel before the car leaves the pit stall. But as you mentioned, so many drivers have said, We don't want them changing rules in the middle of the season. So the rule was in place at the beginning of the year. Everybody knew the rule. Everybody knows the penalty. And that's exactly what NASCAR put in place, that penalty.
7: And as you mentioned, it was Maybe a bit of an overreaction, you know, to what was going on at the time. It was a a penalty that was instigated because they wanted this harsh penalty for having a wheel come off because it was a safety issue to have a wheel come off. You know, if it were to come off and find its way into different places, that's a scary situation. So they put this rule in. But as we saw this past weekend in two examples – it just wasn't really what they probably thought would happen with this rule. These were two cars that came off and immediately lost their tire because there was probably nothing tight on those lug nuts at all. And it wasn't the intention of the teams to go out there and gain time with, these, with leaving those lug nuts loose or not having any on at all. And therefore, we're good. it's good they held up the penalties, but we got to relook look at it.
1: The four races, Pocono, Michigan, Sonoma, And Daytona will be the four races that the crew chief, Adam Stevens, and those two team members will not be able to be there. And you take a look. We finalized the poll. 78% believe that this was too harsh of a penalty. 17 got it just right. And 5 too lenient. So that was the look (laughs) at uh, what you, the fans, thought of this penalty that was enforced on the 18 team. Now, we look forward to Pocono. And as we do that, we're going to dive into the vault and find some of the greatest finishes at Pocono. We come up with our list of five and we'll reveal those when NASCAR America returns. It is a big sports weekend in the Keystone State as NASCAR heads to Pocono. Time now for our top five finishes at the Tricky Triangle. Number five, this is from June 2014. Who could forget... Brad Kozlowski trying to clean the debris off the front of his car using Danica Patrick's car didn't work out for him.
2: No, it did not. Danica was simply trying to get out of the way of the leaders and and went up high to get out of the way and it, it allowed Dale Jr. to catch up and 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 Dale had more tape on his drill.
1: 2012 late bump and run that enables Joey Logano to take this win.
3: Yeah, sure did. He did a great job of just getting to the bumper and loosening Mark Martin up and going to victory lane. Mark Martin gave him
1: the nickname "Sliced
3: Bread." We look at number three. This is Matt
1: Kenseth. He wins out. In fuel mileage Yes, fuel mileage every now and then
2: comes up At Pocono A key part of Pocono for sure And it's going to happen again this weekend But definitely he stretched his fuel And I think about 10 cars ran out at the end of that race <laughs> Number 2, we go back to 1986
1: Tim Richmond in the 25 on the outside past Jeff Bodine in the five car for the lead
3: on the final turn of the final lap. Tim Richmond kind of defined what driving this racetrack really meant. He, he was one of the best, if not the best, to ever race at this racetrack. Just incredible and a great pass on the outside when you didn't go to the outside at that time. <laughs> that was Ricky Rudd that
1: made him move up on the inside there as well. And let's move all the way to number one. June 2000. Who can forget when the tables were turned on the Intimidator? Yep, Jeremy Mayfield moves him out of the way.
2: Pretty great move for sure to do that to, to Big E, but uh, after the race, Big E let him know who was number one for <laughs> sure. And that's the problem. That's the thing we see seen today in these younger drivers. They'll simply aggressive, and they're not afraid to give you the bumper to get out of the way, and that's what Jeremy Mayfield did and won the race.
1: All right, so next race in front of us, Pocono. Who are you looking at?
2: I'm going to go with Dale Jr. The last three years, his average finish is 3.8. He's got two wins, a fourth. A fifth a sixth I think and, a, and his worst finish is 11. so Hendrick horsepower always runs really good at Pocono and, I, and if, if Greg and Dale can figure out this arrow package I think they're going to be the team to beat this weekend how
3: about yeah. you You yeah. focusing in on anyone in particular well I th- I, my first thought was Chase Elliott because he ran so well there last year I keep thinking he's going to get that first win but the driver I'm going to look at is Kevin Harvick uh, I know what it's like to have Doug Yates horsepower there and that's a big advantage <laughs> to have that and I think it's time Harvick has been very consistent but time to go to victory you
1: had mentioned earlier about uh, downforce and a little bit less downforce, maybe harder on brakes. Which team is going to be able to figure that out first and be able to capitalize on it?
2: Well, just this week, NASCAR has changed the rules a little bit on, on, on the teams going to Pocono. They eliminated some aero pans under the front of the car, which take about 80 to 100 pounds of front downforce off the car. So whichever team could use the wind tunnel the most and get their si- aero simulation ready and prepared for Pocono will be the team that's going to win this weekend. How
1: about Bubble Wallace? How does Bubba do in his very first Sprint Cup Series start?
2: Yeah, I, th-
3: I think he finishes all 400 miles, and I think thats he knows that's his goal right here. They have a very tough racetrack to go to in his first time, but I really believe he's going to have a successful weekend. Build on that, it, it, to get through this weekend, get everything out of the way, and then perform exceptionally well at Michigan next weekend.
1: All eyes are going to be on Bubba Wallace in his first start in the Cup Series, as well as that 18 team. Can they respond and rebound after the crew chief and team suspensions that took place earlier this week so that's all for nascar america thanks for joining us for all of your nascar news go to nbcsports.com slash nascar we'll be back monday at 5:30 eastern with we'll a recap of the weekend at pocono for parker slugger dj i'm rick alice thanks for joining
0: us